0: Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the definitive developer's podcast in fantabulous Chelsea, Manhattan. I'm your host, Michael Nunez. Our co-host today, Dave Anderson. And our producer, William Jeffries. And today we'll be talking about whether monoliths are in for 2018. Oh yeah, it's, it's all the rage these days, monoliths. We're coming full circle, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, it's it's it. That's it. We're back yeah. to monoliths.
1: Majestic monoliths coming down the runway.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, like you know, in the past, the monolith was uh, frowned upon. Everyone moved over to microservices, and now everyone's running away from microservices. Back to monoliths. The hype cycle. Uh, <laughs> hype train, choo choo, back to monoliths. <laughs> Does someone want to give us a definition or their thoughts on what is a
2: monolith before we dive in? To why it's back in? That's a good question. What is a monolith? Uh, I guess a monolith, like you see them pretty often when you're starting out a project where you would have like all of the code that could possibly be there in one application. And maybe you have a database that that talks to as well. So you have one monolithic database, one monolithic application that has all the different kinds of business logic. And yeah, maybe. The front end too, but most likely just one thing. Just
0: all your code in your entire company can be yammed into this one code base. Yam yeah, it in there. Just all together, like a monolith. I think of like the word monolith, like uh, like Stonehenge, like what, like a big pillar of just like all your code. Right. Is so that yeah. safe to say?
1: Like a Washington Monument of Code. Yes. Yeah. That is a it's monolith. Like 2001 Space Odyssey.
0: <laughs> exactly. So we have the idea of putting your code all together into this one monolith. Um, people started looking at other options, uh, and microservices became the thing to do. Do we want to describe what's, what is a microservice and how does that help against the conversation of monolith versus microservice?
1: Yeah, I think five years ago, they were the new hotness and kind of all the rage everybody was talking about them. I think the idea of a microservice is that you break apart your monolith into smaller, more manageable pieces. You decouple things, you separate responsibilities, and then you wire those things up to one another as though they were services just like an API that you might hit from some third party. That's the dream, at least. Right.
2: And I guess that the idea that I've read from microservices is that it should be anything that you can write in some arbitrary amount of time. Was it, like two weeks or four weeks or something? Which may not always be the case, which may be one of the reasons why people are kind of moving back to consider monoliths as a valid pattern, because your your monolith or your your Microservice may actually secretly be a monolith itself and may have blurred
1: boundaries and separation of concerns challenges itself. Yeah. Mm. Then you start trying to figure out how to share code between your microservices, and and now it's just exactly the same as if you had two classes in the same app, except now they have to communicate with all of the latency of HTTP. Mm.
2: Yeah, and also, like, the challenges of maybe a communication bus in between them you know putting everything in a rabbit mq and getting the response back eventually
1: and having the code live in different repos that are perhaps not version controlled and then having upgrades to one repo break the other
0: Yeah, sounds like uh sounds like a headache you won't have
1: if you had a monolith yeah, then you have a whole other set of headaches. <laughs> <laughs> you have a monolith of headaches, I guess, in, in that regard. Which uh, kind of pain do you like?
0: Exactly. That is the question I ask myself every morning <laughs> when building these things. I think we wanted I wanted to mention when when starting out an application, they say it's best to start as a monolith, do not go straight into building microservices, as mentioned by Martin Fowler, or as I called him earlier, Daddy Fowler. (laughs) Martin Fowler has mentioned that you must, oftentimes people who dive into using, uh, to creating just microservices of something often fail. And what seems to be the most, what seems to yield the most success is starting out as a monolith and then slowly taking apart what is necessary for it to be a microservice in itself.
2: Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good application of YAGNI principle, where you're not going to need this service for this, or you 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 need to wait until you have the most information to decide what the boundaries between those services might be. Right. Always really challenging to do any kind of big upfront design, but when you're trying to do it across multiple services, then that's going to be even more challenging. There, there's another article besides the one from Martin Fowler. Mm-hmm. Uh, big papa agile yeah called the death of microservice madness in 2018 oh. which is pretty pretty dramatic title yeah that um, sounds insane yeah yeah our colleague adam shared this with us a couple weeks ago and I, I found it pretty interesting because i think they they break down a lot of the things that we're talking about here very well talking about kind of like the increased complexity that you need to consider for you know onboarding a junior developer into this environment. Right. And the extra expertise that's required to orchestrate all these new services and containers and uh, making sure the deployments are properly versioned and all that crazy stuff.
0: Yeah, it just sounds like, uh, I don't want to say the learning curve, but like the rigidness of maintaining microservices might like if you're not if if you're not maintaining your microservices well and that includes like defining boundaries and ensuring that you have continuous deployment continuous integration built in all of your systems, then it's like doomed to fail, and maybe monolith makes that a little easier and less of a headache that you can answer later on in life. maybe I'm not hundred percent sure if that is true or not. But I feel like that seems to be like the thing the difference between the two like this just upfront like militant best practices must be applied to microservices. If you mess up like a little bit somewhere, it'll be very brittle and fall apart
2: right yeah I guess like if if you're trying to learn how to do something for the first time, then it would be challenging to add that extra complexity another thing that this this article has that i I think is pretty awesome is a flow chart which you can walk through to lead yourself to the correct path maybe for your team and your particular team's skill set in your situation with the particular problem domain that you're looking at. So the basic flow points that they have there are you should consider you know, how big your team is, if you have like two people, maybe you don't need microservices <laughs> because if be like one service per person or yeah. something, how much persistent state do you have in your application? Like, should you do, do you need to like have uh, some knowledge of sessions and things like that? Mm-hmm. Who are going to consume your APIs? Uh, what kind of dependencies between them there might be? And also like, do you have the expertise that you need right. to do this thing? Yeah, so that seems like a pretty nice, like, useful framework to think about that problem.
1: The open source community has done a great job of figuring out how to collaborate using lots of smaller projects. So you can bring in, you know, tens or even hundreds of open source projects of open source libraries and pick a version and lock it and then not really have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Maybe periodically you go through and do upgrades to make sure that nothing is broken, get any security patches, and it gives you a lot of flexibility. And one thing that I have seen companies do successfully when experimenting with microservices is breaking something small out and making it open source and then pulling it in using the infrastructure that's already in place for open source.
2: Just treating it as though... It was completely someone else's thing,
1: and no longer a trusted party to you. The core application, and then that begs the question: Well, then, aren't wouldn't that make monoliths microservices? Because most monoliths are pulling in tens or or even hundreds of open source libraries, are they not?
0: Yeah, but it's all merged into this one thing that has it has multiple responsibilities. I think, right? Like the monolith can be responsible of many things versus a microservice that can just, that may be responsible for one thing.
2: Right. Or you, you might have like one container, one server that fits all of these different kinds of thought and APIs that you're dealing with. Or I guess like an open source analogy to a microservice might be constructing your app entirely on free APIs like Google Maps API and Yelp API or what have you, like kind of trying to glue all these things together from different sources.
1: Yeah. That seems like a better analogy really, because open source libraries aren't services. You don't have to spin them up. They don't have to be running in a separate container. You don't have to hit a separate port over HTTP in order to get to the, in order to, to get the functionality. That's like the slightly less expertise where it's like, okay, like the barrier
2: to entry to doing this is so much smaller. Like, you know, you can graduate from a boot camp and then just put everything all in one place. (laughs) Right. Get it on Heroku.
0: (laughs) Ship it. (laughs) Ship Ship it. it. Yeah. Just
2: listen to Ship It Squirrel.
0: Yeah. So I guess like some of the things in the conversations that we spoke about, part of the reason why monoliths are coming back. Is because it's just easy to start up an idea with a monolith, and then slowly, if necessary, putting that into microservice if you need it, right? Because you may realize that
2: that might not be the case. Right. And there are real benefits to spinning up a microservice that you might realize in the situation that you're in. So there could be a real benefit. Like you might scale your application better because it's more independent and you might you know be able to have uh, easier collaboration or like more independent collaboration between teams right
1: right like if you have a comments microservice if you're maintaining a website that has uh, you know comments on articles for example, breaking the comments feature out into a separate microservice could provide opportunities for scaling because it might turn out that your ability to serve articles is actually not hampered at all and doesn't need any more hardware. The only area where there's pressure is on comments because they're more dynamic. Mm. Yeah.
2: Although then, like, you do need that expertise to look at that problem and be like, okay, well, if I know that comments are having trouble scaling, uh, I need to make sure that it's like truly following the principles of building a microservice where the comments are hosted in their own place as well. Because if if the articles and the comments are both in the same database, then you
1: still have a monolith. But then what if you want to do a join on comments and articles? Um. They're in different databases. <laughs> well, that's its own challenge, I guess. Oh, man. <laughs> These microservices are complicated.
2: Although, like there, there are things that people do, like uh, to make it easier to deal with. Also, like you can have an API gateway. Like we've talked about GraphQL. GraphQL is pretty popular as an API gateway, and there are other alternatives to kind of providing like a glue layer to take all of these microservicey things and do your joins for you, and let your application pretend that you secretly have a monolith in the end. Which I guess also makes you question, wait, why did I build all these little tiny things?
1: And then another thing to make them look like one big thing. I think there is there is another good reason for microservices, and that is scaling up your tech team. I think that it can become really cumbersome to have uh, dozens and dozens or hundreds and hundreds or thousands and thousands of developers all working in a single code base. Certainly there are examples of people who have done it. yes. We've all heard about Google and Uh, um, their single gigantic repo. Yeah.
2: Although I think that their single gigantic repo may actually contain many microservices inside of it. And they're just like trying to avoid the versioning problem with knowing which version of which microservice works with with one.
1: Yeah. Hmm. But I I think you expose yourself to, I think there is an inevitability in software, Conway's Law... Which states yep. that software, the, the organization of software will reflect the organization of the teams that built it. Right. So if you have a front end and a back end team, then you're going to have a lot of separation between the front end and the back end in your app. Mm. If you have a customer facing and an internal facing team working on different UIs with different customers and different needs, those are going to even if they're in the same code base, even if they're in the same monolith, those are going to start to split and you're going to start to see divides there. And if you can actually cut it in half, if you can find that seam, that breakpoint, and split those two teams into separate code bases, it decouples them in a way that allows them to move faster. You're just acknowledging the reality that is already there. Right. And you are facilitating continuous delivery by allowing those people to ship separately. Although you could argue that those are not really microservices, that's just two regular services. Right. Yeah. Two, two different mo- groups
0: of people. What's a what's a monolith what are three monoliths? Is it a triolith? Yes, sounds good to me. You would have have to then think about whether you want to make microservices and not have to think about how to pronounce triolith, if that even is the proper way of saying that.
2: Triceratops. (laughs) It's one of my favorite dinosaurs. There you go.
0: Fun fact. (laughs) I think in the conversation we just had, there are very, very strict, rather, the engineering team needs to be very disciplined when building out these microservices so that you don't have faulty microservices. And that's not to say that all monoliths are not faulty either like regardless of whether you write if you write crappy microservices with no discipline or a crappy monolith with no discipline it's going to be very difficult to work in that code base anyway. So you should always want to use best practices regardless of whether you go down the monolith route or the microservice route.
2: Right, yeah. If if you're if you're hating on your crappy monolith code, or like you're frustrated with you know what's come before you, yeah, and you want to build something even better, then you know just you want to make sure that you're not going to build tomorrow's legacy application, or instead of having one crappy code base, you have ten crappy code bases. Yeah, or
0: you don't want to do that for sure. There is a quote that I saw online from a Hacker News article titled you must be this tall to use microservices. And I thought the title was great. And there is a comment in there that says the following. Microservices necessitates the application of a more rigorous set of engineering practices to all service infrastructure components and therefore carry a greater overhead than traditional development methodologies. Rigorous engineering does not come free. Whether that trade-off makes sense for any given project is a question of resources and requirements. And I think Dave mentioned before, definitely think about your requirements and things to consider, such as team size and state and the consumers who will be consuming information uh, given this application and many other different requirements are very useful to determine whether you want to go down the route of microservices or a monolith. Cool. Yeah. Good deep thoughts. There you go. Yeah.
2: Are there any teacher learns that we have today? This is a really small one. It's not, it's not like a huge piece of wisdom, but I learned that you can actually move multiple tabs in Chrome by using shift-selecting or control-selecting and then dragging them out of the window.
0: What? <laughs> what? Say that
2: again? Shift-select shift or control-select to get multiple tabs and then drag them where you need them.
0: Wait, that's like, so let's say if I had three tabs that I opened and I want all three of those to be in its own window. Yeah. Well, then they already are, because you only have three
1: to begin with, right? <laughs> well, no, be, no, let's say,
0: no, say I have a monolith of tabs, right? Okay, like, so I got you like, got <laughs> like you got like 10 tabs, right? Yeah, you click yeah, on right. the
1: middle one, and then you hold shift, and you click on one that's like two tabs away, and then those three tabs are going to be highlighted, and then you click on those, and you drag them away, yeah. and they become a new one.
2: Or if you opened up like 15 tabs, and like they're all sprinkled around, like you have your, your Jira or your Clubhouse or whatever, like links, and you just got to click them control select the ones you want drag them out i always do this i always open up like a million different things and then it's all a mess yeah. oh my
1: god that's crazy i i do that and then i option backtick to sort of or command backtick to cycle through the different like groups of tabs yeah and then i minimize the groups of tabs that are for like after work stuff yeah and, and then <laughs> all you the know I'll, like swap them out yeah. you know for the like during work stuff and then I'll have to try and move the tabs from that are sort of crossover from one to another. And then it <laughs> all becomes greater. way more complicated than just opening a new tab. <laughs> yeah. You can get yourself a monolith of the tabs afterwards. Yeah, just just you close know. your tabs. You don't need all those tabs. No. I need the tabs. I need, the t- I need them. We all also need Also quick tabs. tabs. Use yeah. quick tabs. You're That's a tabaholic, great. Dave. Yeah. Oh, man. Mm.
2: Just fuzzy finder for tabs. Quick tabs. <laughs> for all your too many tabs
0: needs. (laughs) I have a quick teach and learn nothing too crazy. I've been trying to use a Facebook recently released the one, not recently, but they have like create react app. It's like a script that you can run and you can just create an app on the go. And it comes with a couple of scripts, including like yarn or NPM start NPM stop or NPM test. But the one that I actually tried was npm eject which means that the the application or the that bundle process that facebook has that script bundles up all your babble and your all your webpack all into this one fine thing that you don't see Mm -hmm. until you eject and it's like are you sure like are you a real developer because you're about to eject out of this and see some (laughs) Stuff.
2: <laughs> so you hit
0: eject and then like all the, all the wet pack and the Babel stuff actually writes into your, into your project. And then you can actually make real edits to your Babel file and stuff. It was like scary. Cause I was like, Oh no, what if I want to go back to, you know, what if you had the, what is it? The uh, red pill. And then you want to go or the blue pill and the matrix. I forget which pills don't, don't take many pills, but like you, <laughs> you, you get out of the matrix and then you want to go back in. Like, what do you do? Like, I had no idea. You just have to start a new project if that was the case. <laughs> so, use Git if you plan to eject. So, if, if anything, you can always go back. Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now, however, you listen to your favorite podcast.